The Ambitious Radio Network. Conversations with ambitious entrepreneurs and thought leaders. Are you an entrepreneur, startup junkie, or just someone interested in improving their leadership skills? If you're looking to be motivated, inspired, and uncover what it takes to get to the next level, listening to Ambitious Radio will be well worth the investment of your time. We have weekly engaging conversations with today's most influential thought leaders and entrepreneurs as they discuss their successes, failures, tipping points, and other priceless information that you can apply immediately after listening. Now, here's your host, Doug Parker. All right, welcome back to Ambitious Radio, and today we have a guest on the show that has made quite an impact on myself, on my business, and uh, this gentleman has really done it. I mean, his company was featured as the coolest small company in America on the cover of Inc. Magazine, and uh, Ari's the founding partner of Zingerman's Community of Businesses, which includes many businesses. I was initially exposed back, I guess, about in 2000 and eight or nine uh, to the vision that they had. Uh, it was to have 20 companies by 2020, and that includes Zingerman's Bakehouse, Zing Train, uh, Zingerman's Catering and Events, Zingerman's Mail Order, Zingerman's Creamery, Zingerman's Roadhouse, Zingerman's Coffee, Zingerman's Candy, and I'll tell you what, those candy bars are one of my favorite things in the world. <laughs> They're a little more expensive than a Snickers, but I'll tell you what, they are fantastic. My wife sometimes gets them for me for like an anniversary or something special. Um, Zingerman's Cornman uh, um, Farms, and then uh, Zingerman's Service Network, and then the newest company is Miss Kim, a Korean restaurant. Ari, welcome to the show, sir. Happy to be on. Well, I tell you what, it is, it's really cool uh, over the years. I went back through and, and preparing for the show, I went back through and, and kind of looked at some of my notes from one of the trains I went to on Small Giants up in Ann Arbor back. It's hard yep. to believe, but it was in 2009. And, wow. um, you know, I was preparing and I, I'm, I'm digging out all my notes. And, and one of the things that I'll commend you on is your transparency. It is unbelievable how you are so willing just to share information. And, and at that time, I, I was staying there for training, and I was first exposed to that ZCOB, that Zingerman Community of Businesses. And I asked if I could stick around for a couple of days and just you know visit with the different businesses and the managing partners. And you said, sure, man, no problem at all. Come on down. And got to attend a meeting and got the handout of, of kind of how everybody put it together. But before we jump into the business side of things, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where you're from, where'd you grow up, and, and how did you get to, to Ann Arbor, Michigan? Absolutely. Uh, I grew up in Chicago, which uh, for those of you who haven't been there, is about four hours uh, west of Ann Arbor. So I grew up in Chicago, came up to Ann Arbor like so many people do to go to school. Uh, studied Russian history at University of Michigan with, uh, as you know, a particular focus on the anarchists. So we can maybe we'll get into that later. But uh, after I graduated, I, I really had no clue what was next. Uh, you know, as you know, we do a lot of work around visioning and we, we teach visioning and use it regularly. But when I graduated, I didn't have a vision. Uh, I had uh, what David White, the writer and poet uh, whose books I really recommend, calls the uh, Via Negativa. And uh that's that's where you have no clue where you want to go, but you're really clear where you don't want to go. <laughs> and I knew I didn't want to move back home. So in order to make that viable, I ended up deciding I would stay here. And I, I started looking for a job. And one of my college roommates was waiting tables at a restaurant. It seemed like a decent place to work. So 
I went in there to try to get a job serving. Uh, they didn't. They didn't have anything. They told me they'd call me. I waited two weeks. Went back, reapplied as a pusser, and you know, thought I could get promoted later. They told me they'd call me. Uh, I waited two more weeks until I was totally running out of money, and then I went back and offered to do anything. And they said, "Do you want to wash dishes?" And never having worked in food, I didn't know you weren't really supposed to want to wash dishes. But that's that's. I just said sure, and that's how I got started. So. I really just got lucky because I stumbled into work that I, I truly love and into great people. Um, so Paul Saginaw, who's been my partner in all this uh, from the get-go at Zingerman's, was the general manager uh, at that restaurant. Uh, Maggie Bayless, who's the partner at Zing Train, which you, you mentioned our training seminars, was a cocktail waitress. And Frank Carollo, who's one of the partners in our bakery, which you know makes all that good bread and pastry and stuff, was, and brownies, was, uh, was the line cook. So... I stayed and worked for that restaurant group for about four years, uh, prepping, line cooking, managing kitchens. Uh, decided November 181, I gave two months' notice. I didn't really know what was going to be next. It's, it's a stage that I'm sure some of the folks that are listening have either been in or, or are in, even, you know, which is I didn't hate going to work. It wasn't horrible, but it was just less and less inspiring. Uh, and I could sort of sense that where they were headed was not where I wanted to head in terms of food quality and management style so i gave two months notice and paul had left a few years uh before that and opened a little fish market here in town which is still really one of the best in the country and he and i were friends and you know we talk off and on about doing our own place and he called me like two three days after i'd given my notice not knowing i'd given notice and uh said hey there's this little building coming open near the fish market why don't we go look and uh he had grown up in detroit where you could get good deli food and you could get it in chicago and uh, we decided we would open up, and somehow within four and a half months, we opened, which is sort of shocking since today it takes about four months just to get a meeting scheduled when everybody's in town. But uh, we went uh, March 15, 1982 is when we opened, 1,300 square feet. Uh, me and Paul, two employees, 25 sandwiches, 29 seats, I think, and you know a little bit of bread from other bakeries. We didn't have our own back then. And, some smoked fish, some pate, some mustard, some olive oil, just a little bit of everything. And down in this old 1902 building on a corner Man. in Ann Arbor. And uh, that's how we got started. What a story. Now, you, now you mentioned, you know, Maggie and Frank and Paul. You know, when you go back and look at stuff, it, it's it's like you had this, this all-star uh, team of, of folks that, you know, you rewind back then and maybe it may, may or not have seemed like that back then. You talk, you mentioned, you know, Maggie was a cocktail waitress and, and, yeah. uh, the different things. Now, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Maggie actually went off to Harvard, right? She went to miss, she's from, uh, Ohio and she went to Oberlin college for her undergrad in German literature. We, <laughs> and, uh, but she did go back to U of M to Michigan and get her MBA from Michigan. Okay. Well, some, some reason I, I got mixed up there on uh, it's the they, Harvard of the Midwest, the Harvard of the Midwest. They call it. There you go. There you go. They, and, they and, really do. They really do call it that. <laughs> and then she decided that, that she, whatever job she was doing in, in out in the business world, didn't like that and came back to, to, to work in, within the group. Right. Yeah, she, uh, so she, she, I mean, she had worked, you know, helped out. She was in school while we were opening. So she would work, you know, one or two days a week. Uh, she was in grad school and, uh, then she graduated. She got a job at General Motors, uh, as she says, long enough to, uh, make sure that wasn't what she wanted to do. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they had all the dysfunction of, you know, giant corporate America and she decided she would leave there. She got a job in a small consulting firm here in town, you know, in the belief, which is not 
crazy, but the belief that, you know, she would go from giant to small and it would be much more like, you know, the business Paul and I were running, you know, or whatever you people cared about you, you believed in what you were doing. It was really interesting. You were learning a lot. And what she discovered was a comparable amount of dysfunction just on a much smaller scale. (laughs) But in a good sense, she fell in love with training work and she realized that was really her passion was to study training and then help people develop training programs that would you know, unlike so many of them that just go on the shelf and don't do anything, that she would work on creating a training methodology that would actually really help people to improve their work quality and improve their businesses. And uh, while she was being frustrated with that uh, that job, Paul and I came out uh, in 94 with our 2009 vision, which uh, I think you referenced in the intro, which outlined the idea or detailed the idea of having a community of businesses uh, all located here in the Ann Arbor area. Um, each business would be a Zingerman's business, but each would have its own unique specialty, and that would allow us to stay true to our original intent, which was to have just one unique, really special deli. And, uh, you know, she she tells the story of going home from work regularly, you know, being frustrated, complaining to her husband about, you know, why can't I find some business to work in that you know runs it the way Paul and Ari are doing it and then he said well they got this new vision why don't you go talk to them so she came and proposed the idea of doing a training business and uh 23 years later it's a it's a pretty remarkable little training business that uh, teaches our approaches to leadership to open book management to visioning uh self-management all that good stuff yeah, and, and, you know, and I've already kind of given some kudos, if you will, to the candy bars, but I'll do it to the training as well. You know, um, for anybody out there that is looking for culture and, and training on culture, and, and there's so many more things, but it is – it's it's a different world. You go to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and you know the the whether it's the the waitresses or the waiters, the people at the front line. It doesn't matter who it is. They really do things different in our in our uh, Ann Arbor, and it's not just everywhere in Ann Arbor. It's it's really the Zingerman's uh, culture. So can you talk a little bit about that culture and how you get you know sixteen yeah. year old kids to buy in? Yep, yep. Well, I, I there's no one secret. Uh, there's a uh, the fourth part of the business book series just came out this summer and I think it goes up now to 49 secrets. So each essay in the books, I, I sort of dubbed secrets and quotes just cause everybody's always looking for the secret. And of course there isn't one, but I think when you put all of them together, it starts to make or it makes the culture that, that we have uh, in the first, in part one of the book, uh, which is on building a great business. There's an essay called 12 natural laws of business, which is about my belief that if we, operate in harmony with nature, not just environmentally, but human nature, that we start to create healthy, positive organizations. And uh, and that when we, as part of that, that when we actually teach everybody who works here really how to run the organization and we give them the chance to participate in running the organization, it starts to really drastically alter their relationship to their work, to themselves, and, and to what we're doing. So uh, there's a lot of pieces to it, but but I think that's that's a big part of it. Absolutely, and and you know, there's there's so many uh, moving parts. We talk about that culture, and and you know, you talked about your book, and it's and I don't know if we announced it yet, uh, but we'll definitely put it all in the show notes. But it's the power of beliefs in business, and it's uh, yeah. uh, the I guess the subtitle is a, a lapsed anarchist approach to 
um, to yep. that. And it's a four-part series. And this book, and, yep. and, and I'm telling you, when, when I ordered the book, you know, I've, I've got your book that's uh, a, a better, I mean, a guide to better bacon because, you know, everything is better with yep. bacon. <laughs> but when I, got, go. when I got this book, I was very impressed. I mean, it, I'm holding it in my hand right now, and I mean, this thing is chocked full of, it's like a hundred, let's see how many pages is this thing? It's like 580 pages. 588, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's a big old book with lots of information in it, but uh, that kind of wraps up this segment, and we'll jump back in here in just a minute and talk more with Ari about the things that he's really working on right now within Zingerman's and the community of businesses right here on the Ambitious Radio Network. RepairMyCreditNow.com story. It's a day this family had dreamed of for quite some time. They were finally getting that brand new SUV. The salesperson at the auto dealership gave them the keys and told them to take it for the weekend. He'd prepared the documents and called them Monday morning. The kids had already installed the headrest DVD when the phone rang. Seems there was a problem with their credit they were unaware of. They'd have to return the SUV to the dealership immediately. Embarrassing to say the least. www.repairmycreditnow.com Hello, this is Doug Parker with repairmycreditnow.com. Do you have less than perfect credit, a repo, maybe some late payments, a collection account? Are they being reported accurately? Studies show that over 70% of Americans have inaccuracies on their credit reports. Where do you fit in? Go to repairmycreditnow.com for your free credit report evaluation. And remember, your credit is your future. If you want to get started now, log on now. RepairMyCreditNow.com. RepairMyCreditNow.com. www.RepairMyCreditNow.com. All right, we're back on the Ambitious Radio Network, and today we've got Ari Wisewig. And Ari, you are such an interesting person. You know, when I first met you, uh, and I'm going to tell on myself here just a little bit, okay? So I grew up in, in the... Uh, kind of old school way of, of business, if you will, where in my mind I'm thinking kind of, you know, the the dress for success, wear the suit and tie every day, and, and I've kind of, you know, the tucked in shirt every day. <laughs> and for me, it's, it's, you know, it's what's beat into my brain. So I go to Inc. 500, my company's on the list, I show up for this, this uh, uh, breakout session on culture, and I show up, and I show up, and I'm, I'm on the front row, I'm early, and I eat some of these brownies, and I'm like, man, these are like the best dang brownies ever. And then Ari rolls up, man, he's got his, like, uh, his Converse on, and some jeans, and a t-shirt on, and the first thing that comes to my mind is I'm thinking, I, and this is terrible that I think this, I'm thinking, man, what am I going to learn here? I truly did, and I thought, I'm on the front row, and I already ate the guy's brownies, man, I got to sit around and, and check this out. And then my doors were blown off by the things that you guys are doing, and it's it's really cool seeing you in action. I remember when I went to Ann Arbor, <clears throat> I got there on a Sunday. I was there early, and I went to the Roadhouse to get some dinner. And then there you were, and you're walking around serving water, just you know, just topping people off on a Sunday night. Yep. I mean, it's it yep. was it was really cool. But but tell us just a little bit about you know Zingerman's, the community of business, and and you know we talked a little bit about the vision. But how is it that you guys do it? Is it you and Paul dreaming all this stuff up, and then you go out and execute, or, or how does that community of businesses actually work? Yeah, yeah, good questions. I'll, I'll 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 be there this Sunday. I'll be there tonight. I'll be there this Sunday night too. Pouring water. In fact, part two of the book is on leadership. There's an essay called "Managing by Pouring Water," hmm. uh, which gets into the details of that. But um, how does it work? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I think there's you know I've, I've, the new book has a bunch of stuff. Uh, 
about my belief that business is like an ecosystem and and in nature. And so uh, I think really, if if you really look at it in depth, every part of our organizations are impacting every other part and everybody's playing a role, whether it's acknowledged or not. Um, Certainly Paul and I are, are, you know, important to the organization, but the idea is to really get everybody who works here, which is now over 700 people, to take responsibility for leadership, to take responsibility for helping run the organization. And, you know, to really think like business people, to think like leaders. And some of those people, like you said, are 16 years old and some are 60 years old and everything in between. Some are part-time, some are full-time, some have been here three weeks, some have been here 20 years. But uh, the idea is to really get everybody going. But each each business, uh, so we, we, I don't know what we got, 10 uh, independent businesses with subsets even within that, but each business has managing partner partners in it. We talked about Maggie and Frank, but there's, uh, I think 16 other managing partners besides them. And, you know, the managing partners are charged really with running their own business, but we operate as one organization. So there's a ton of collaboration, uh, across business lines. And, uh, we actually run the entire Zingerman's community of businesses by consensus of the management of the partners. So there's uh, 18 partners. And then just to compound the confusion or oddity of the way we work, uh, two years ago, we added three, what we call staff partners. So this is uh, people who are not uh, managing partners that were chosen from the staff, uh, from frontline, frontline crew to be part of that partners group consensus. So there's uh, three of them right now. One guy at the time was a, uh, a driver at the bakehouse doing deliveries. He's now the driver delivery manager. Uh, another woman works uh, at the time worked at, at the deli running sandwiches. She now works at Zinc Train, and then uh, the third uh, person is a woman who works at Mail Order uh, as one of the production managers. So these are not owners uh, in the uh, formal partner sense, but they are are participating in that consensus just to bring a different perspective. Okay, and, and I'm actually looking at, it's like an 11 by 17 sheet of paper that I've got in my hands here, and it says Z-Cobb D-O-R. And you talked yeah, about- Yeah, well, you saved that. That's, that's impressive. Yes, sir. <laughs> hey, I'm telling you what, I mean, I, I, my, my socks are blown off by just what you guys do because, and I'll tell you, one of the reasons why is because a lot of times entrepreneurs, you know, A-type personalities going out trying to do something, make it happen because they want to make it happen for themselves. And the yeah. selflessness I see within Zingerman's, it, 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 it's hard for me to wrap my head around it, how just selfless it is. And, and you talk about this, um, you know, this Zingerman's community of businesses, which I don't know if it's changed or not, but at the time, it seemed to me like it was, it was like an organism more than an organization. It wasn't like a formal yeah. like LLC or anything. Yeah. It was just yeah. everybody getting together. And then by consensus, you guys rule everybody else's businesses and, you give up control to an extent, you know, there's just all kind yep. of, you know, odd, uh, odyssey, uh, not odysseys, uh, just oddness of how it works because it's just not the norm. Yep. But, um, oh. but yeah, so it's, it's just all these numbers are out there. You share it all with all the employees, open book management. For those yep. who don't know about that, can you yep. elaborate a bit there? Yeah, absolutely. So open book management came from, uh, Springfield remanufacturing, uh, more conveniently known by its acronym SRC, uh, which is down in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, they started their work uh, originally as a as a plant of International Harvester. The story of it is better told if you want to look at uh, 
Jack Stack and Bo Burlingham's great book uh, called Great Game of Business. Um, and that's where we learned it from. Uh, they began doing open book uh, in 1982, same year we opened the deli. But we didn't hear about it till after the book came out, so probably 10, 12 years later. And, uh, you know, we've been big advocates. I'd say we, you know, I always say we did it probably C-plus for the first five or six years and, and then radically better over the last 10 um, it's a it's a methodology uh, that involves everyone in running the business. So it, it tags back to what I was saying earlier about teaching everybody to think like a business person. This is not the only way we do it, but it's one of the ways we do it. So, you know, like you said, you came to the partners group meeting, uh, which is uh, the ZCOB or Zingerman's community of businesses, what we would call huddle. So it's really where we run the organization. Uh, all our meetings, you know, with a few exceptions, uh, you know, mostly for private HR kind of stuff are open. So there might be anywhere from 10 to 30 frontline people that are there. Uh, we pay them to be there if they want to be there. Uh, we, because we believe they got something to offer and contribute and insight that we don't have. And, uh, that's where everybody's reporting their numbers. And then more importantly, really than reporting is they're forecasting what's going to happen, uh, so that we can see what's coming up and they're sharing information and there's a chance for people to participate and converse. It's actually remarkably crisp and moves pretty quickly. Uh, but by the end of that meeting, you have, if, if you, you might be a delivery driver at the bakehouse or a baker, or, you know, a sandwich runner at the deli, but you, you got a pretty good sense of what's going on in the $60 million company that you're a part of. So, uh, the idea open book is just to help people participate and run in the business in which they're working. And, uh, you know, it's based, I mean, the new book, as you said, is on beliefs. It's based on the beliefs that everybody's got something to contribute that, uh, the great game model really was designed around the idea that business, uh, is like a sport or a game, not in a, in a childlike way, but in a professional sports sort of way. And that sort of absurdly, most of the people playing the game, i.e. the employees and everybody's business, uh, don't know the rules of the game they're being asked to play. They got no clue what the score is. And if they get something at the end, if the team wins, it's mostly in a sort of very paternalistic, you know, nice job, honey, here's $100, which is better than not getting $100. But they really have no clue what they did to actually make, uh, you know, make the $100 appear, you know, which is great when you're six. But it's, it's not that great when you're a professional, you know, staff member in, a, in an organization. So, it's it's pretty transformative. I, I can't recommend it highly enough. We actually teach a two days in train seminar on our adaptation of what we learned from them. Well, you, you know, and I tell you, I, like I said, I promise you, you made an influence uh, on 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 my life, whether you whether you realize it or not. So I'm looking at an email you sent me back on October 19th of 2009 at 9:48 in the morning, and and it was just about what you were talking about. It was a survey for the American workforce, and I don't know if you know those statistics off the top of your head or not. If you do, take it and run with it. But um, it, it was talking. Oh, yeah, I got them right here. Yeah. This is, yep, I'll, I'll give them to you. Give me, okay. This is from the Harris Poll, that one? Yes, sir. This is, and there's been a number of other surveys that come out that tell you exactly the same thing. Uh, of the American workers surveyed only, this is in part two of the book, actually, only 37% clearly knew their company's goals. Uh, only 20% were enthusiastic about those goals. Only 20% saw how they could support achieving those goals. Only 15%, one five, felt they were enabled to work towards achieving the goals. And only 20% fully trusted the company they worked for. Mm-mm. Pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then there and was there's, a... there's been all sorts of other stuff that backed it up. Then there's the football metaphor. Yep. 
You want that too? Please. Yeah, that came from a guy in, uh, also in Texas. He's in Houston, Dean Tucker, who's a, is also a good business writer. Be a good interview for you also at some point. But uh, he, I give him full credit for this, but it made me laugh really hard. And it's, it's scary, funny uh, in a bad way, in a good way. But anyway, he said if, if you put those statistics onto a football team, hopefully not the Dallas Cowboys, right? This <laughs> yes, is what sir. it would translate into. <laughs> Only of the 11 guys that go out on the field, only four of them would know what goal they're supposed to go towards. Even worse, only two of them would actually care. When they break the huddle, only two of the 11 would know what position they're supposed to line up in. Only two of the people on the field would feel like their efforts actually made a difference as to whether the team wins or loses. And all but two would be just as likely to root for the other team as for their own team. (laughs) And I, I laughed when I heard him say it, but then I was like, this is nuts, man, because you know, no offense, but all everybody would argue about was tax rates and how that's going to change the economy. I'm like, whatever, man. Do you think some frontline employee gets up in the morning and they're like, honey, if they just change tax rates to X, I would work 10 times harder. I mean, it's not, it's not what's on their mind. What's on their mind is do they care about what they do? Do they feel cared about by the organization? You know, do they believe in the products they're making or selling? Do they feel like they have a say and and that their their opinion makes any difference? I mean, all of those things are what get people motivated. And, you know, my belief is that when I mentioned the 12 natural laws of business is that when organizations are operating in harmony with those natural laws, i.e. with human nature, that we avoid that and what I call the energy crisis in the workplace, which is what those statistics describe. And instead, what we get is what you described, which is, you know, servers who in most businesses would be considered a peripheral, you know, whatever frontline, you know, borderline employee. And, and here a lot, you know, got a lot of great people that are putting a lot of intellectual and emotional energy and and as well as physical energy into what they do, which is great. Yeah. You know, and and when you talk about a, a $60 million a year organization, and I can't think of an equivalent size, you know, organization out there, but um, some big, you know, organization doing that kind of business and imagine uh, a 16 or 18 year old, you know, kid running up to, uh, hey, I want to jump into the uh, the corporate meeting here, and, and I just want to give my two cents real quick. I mean, imagine that it it doesn't connect with me in the world that we live in, but it's normal with your uh, organization, and yep. it's something that. Uh, you get great value out of because they're on the front lines doing what they're doing and and you give them you know uh full authority to to do certain things i forget what what is your rule on let's say that there's a server that's serving someone and there's some kind of problem what's how does that work yeah everybody that works here from the day they start is authorized to do whatever they need to do for the customer so they can replace your product they can refund money they can do both they can if they got to, they could call a cab or whatever you got now, Lyft or whatever, and send it over to your house if they have to. If they're they're all authorized to do whatever they got to do. So they, I mean, literally, they could be, you know, high school student working two days a week, and you know, you're unhappy with your food, and you're about to walk out the door because you're mad. They're they got every opportunity, right, whatever, authorization to say, sir, we're going to refund your meal. You know, let me give you a gift card so we really want you back. Mm, mm. That's that is super super powerful, and you know, in in the book, uh, small giants that that Bo Burlingham wrote, you know, he he talked about, you know, the 
really the nature of Zingerman's back. And this is, you know, almost, I guess, 15 years or so ago. But he's writing about, you know, your involvement in the community and how plugged in you guys are. And, and I think there was a, a French reference. I think it was, was it terroir or something? Uh, terroir. Terroir. It's a French word that uh, refers to the soil. Uh, so it's used a lot in, in grape growing for wines, but really all with all food. So the 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 idea, uh, I can't remember when he had called me, he was interviewing me, and that's where it sort of came to my mind. But, you know, so in, in traditional old school agriculture, it's well understood that the soil, the nutrients in the soil, the mineral content of the soil, et cetera, are going to have an impact on what grows in it, right? So if you grow the same grapes in you know, West Texas, as you grow in California, it's going to taste different. And it could be exactly the same grape varietal. It could even be two different cuttings from the same plant. But because of the, you know, the, where you're at, it's going to impact it. If you move it to France, it's going to taste different again. And I, I think that's also true for businesses. And that, you know, when you're, when you're focused on the community, that you're going to be impacted by where you are. So, my belief is the 12 natural laws of business are, are the business equivalent or the, the organizational equivalent, let's say, of organic slash sustainable farming, right? So every every sustainable farmer is basically following the same general practices, whether they're doing it in, you know, West Africa or they're doing it in, you know, southern U.S. or they're doing it in, you know, France. It's the same. But what they always do is adapt to the ecosystem, the environment in which they're working. And I think the same is true with this. All great organizations are living in harmony with those 12 natural laws, even though they never heard of them. They're doing it every day, but they're always adapting to the, you know, to the town, to the city, to the to the climate that they're in. You know, it, it makes a it makes a huge difference. And I've got so many questions and we have just so little time. It's hard to believe we're halfway through the show. But after we hear a brief word from our sponsors, we'll be right back with Ari from Zingerman's. And I hope you guys are getting as much out of this. I, I love the refreshers. It really is great information. Uh, tune in right after the break. We'll be right back on the official Radio Network. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God or what they say? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers, and if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. This is Kelly Shackelford, president of First Liberty. We're the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. We've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to the local schools. Visit firstliberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's firstliberty.org. All right, we're back on the Ambitious Radio Network. We've got Ari Weisbig, and Ari is just all over it. I mean, he's written books. He's got a super successful business and one of the coolest guys on earth. I know his company was the one of the smallest cool company in America, but he's one of the coolest guys, laid back, shares everything. <laughs> I remember uh, a, a few years back I called you, 
And um, and you, I think maybe you text me back or something, and you're like, "Hey, I'm in Tunisia getting some cheese of some sort um, for for some olive oil. Olive oil. It was olive oil. Yeah. Okay, and it was before all the uprising, you know, that went over the last yep. couple of years. Yep. But um, yep. yeah, it was olive oil, and 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 then you're like, "Hey, I'll call you when I get back." I'm like, "All right, cool." So then, literally, I think you landed at the Chicago airport, and you call me from the airport. Hey, Doug, um, just touching base with you. What's going on? I'm like, "This is unbelievable. The guy is on top of it, just so." Uh, low key, man, and you're a you're a huge deal, um, but you don't act like that ever. And I'm appreciative of, of people like you in the world because, man, you're just a you're just a cool cat that really just cares about helping people. Well, thank you. You're very kind, man. I, uh, I, you know, I, I talk I talk in a new book. I mean, I just I, I have the belief that everybody's a smart, creative, intelligent human being, and I, I really believe that. So, you know, whatever you achieved or I've achieved is, is great, but it doesn't make us any better people than anybody else. And, uh, you know, to your point about involving people in open book and all that, I mean, you know, the reality is there's 17 year olds know a ton of stuff we don't know, right? There's people who are, you know, just got out of prison and know stuff I don't know. And there, those kinds of people are often pushed to the edge or over the edge of society, but they actually have a lot to offer. And, you know, when we include them in the organization, you can take, you know, somebody that was really left out and feeling left out and discouraged, almost hopeless and, and, and disengaged, you know, like those statistics and turn them into somebody that actually will bust their butt for the organization and contribute in a really great, cool way. So, so let me ask you this, because um, I know you're a really open-minded kind of guy. So what's something that maybe over the last decade or so that, that maybe you've changed your mind on you. You got some new information and you were kind of like, I'm going this direction on it, but with a little more information, somehow you just changed directions 180 degrees. Is there anything that comes to mind that you've just totally diametrically opposed to where you were? Well, I think, I don't know if it's diametrically, but I, I think that the whole new uh, book uh, is, is really stuff that uh, I really hadn't ever really thought about. I mean, the idea of beliefs in business. So, just to be clear, you know, as you, you saw from reading it, but I'm not really talking about politics, sports, and religion, which are sort of three areas of belief that come up regularly. Not that they're bad, but that's not really what I'm looking at. What I'm looking at is more what do we believe about the people we work with? What do we believe about our products? What do we believe about our customers? What do we believe about a particular customer? Um, you know, like you said, what do you believe about what's appropriate dress to wear? You know, what's what's a CEO look like? <laughs> you know, we, we all got this in our heads and most of us don't even realize that we have it. Uh, and to your credit, you know, you were open-minded enough to stay because you, your mother raised you to feel guilty about eating somebody's brownie <laughs> and not walking out on their t- Well, this is true. I mean, this is how we, you know, we all got this stuff, right? And we, we're not born, we're not born with any of it. It's all learned behavior. So, um, you know, you were open-minded enough that you changed your beliefs and, and that, that interaction probably, I'm going to guess will change the next time somebody comes out in jeans and a t-shirt to present at a business conference, you are more likely to be open-minded about what they have to say than you might have been before that. No question. If I had done a bad, if I had done a bad job, you probably would have said, "See, I knew, man. I should have walked out." And the next time somebody came in jeans and a t-shirt, you'd walk out. And the truth is, it could be the next Albert Einstein, <laughs> and you would have missed their talk. So the belief stuff really blew, blew my mind when I started learning about it. And uh, as you said, it's a long book, but it's honestly something I barely thought about until three or four years ago. 
So that, that's been big. And then uh, also there's two essays in this new book about hope in the workplace, which some I never gave a, a minute of thought to. But, you know, not shockingly, once you start studying it, it turns out that, guess what, people with low hope do bad work, mm. <laughs> you know, which is an obvious correlation. But the, the problem is that, that all of us in business are inadvertently, or I think I'm going to choose to believe inadvertently doing things that are crushing the hope of our employees. And, you know, by sort of demeaning them, by telling them their idea is no good or telling them you don't have time for them or, you know, things that happen every day in every organization at a very low key level. But when the employee loses hope for a better future, the quality of their work drops drastically. And then, you know, I start studying and there's all these statistics, you know, higher turnover, uh, lower engagement, uh, lower, you know, worse health. less likely to become supportive of organizational change efforts. I mean, it's just like, it's mind blowing. Right. So I started to go, okay, well, this, this is what's going on. We better, you know, get better at this. And I came up with a, you know, I called it six pointed hope star, but like six things that we could do for every employee. And I think you could do it every day that would increase their hope, which is basically free and everything gets better if you do it. Well, and I tell you, that's one of the things I had highlighted here was the six-pointed hope star, you know, help uh, people see a better future, help people see how they might get to that future, show people how much they matter, help people uh, so they, so help people uh, see how much their work matters, and then help people see how small steps are key to success, and then the number six one is uh, show people how they fit into a larger whole. And, you know, I'm telling you, it's, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, Ari's book, if you're just tuning into the show, and it's a a lapsed anarchist approach to the power of beliefs in business. And it's a four-part series. This is the the fourth part. Well, I said it's a four-part series. This is the fourth of the series. I don't know how many parts there might be, but uh, with There's going to be more. There's going to be more. And, I mean, like we said before, it's it's like 588 pages. It's chock full of just great, great content. Now, one one thing that that I would like to to touch on on here real quick and um, you know we talked uh, about like things that you changed your mind on you talked about hope just a little bit um, you, you know but it's it's it, 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 let's talk about obstacles you know through through your business and the different businesses um, you know one of the obstacles that, that I've heard you talk about is that instead of expanding Zingerman's Deli and, and just having a watered-down version you know in Phoenix Arizona yep. or in the airport or yep. wherever uh, you didn't want to do that but are there other yep. obstacles that you've gone through that were pretty major that you and Paul, like, you know, maybe like didn't see eye to eye on? And how did y'all, you know, progress through those? Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's always obstacles. I mean, I think it's, you know, we're all struggling. I mean, human relationships are are difficult. Uh, and, you know, some days are easier, some days are harder. But I think it's sort of normal that those struggles are going on. Uh, you know, one of the natural laws of business is that uh, strengths lead to weaknesses and vice versa. So, you know, as you described, one of our strengths is we don't have everything as tightly nailed down, bolted down as you might find in a more corporate setting. And I think that clearly that's a big piece of what we do that works. You know, what's the downside? Well, sometimes it's harder to get people moving in the same direction in the short term. Uh, you know, that said, I prefer this problem because I think we get a lot farther. So, you know, but personalities, the you know, vagaries of the economy, all the stuff, you know, competition. I mean, we got all the same stuff everybody else does. Uh, you know, the the ninth natural law of business on the list is that success means you get better problems. 
which is my favorite one on the list. And, you know, we got good problems. People hold us, customers hold us to high standards. Employees hold us to high standards. And, you know, when you're held to a high standard, you fall short, right? So, you know, whatever, pick your pick your sport. I mean, and uh, it doesn't matter to me. You know, I grew up in Chicago. I mean, Michael Jordan would have missed one shot and they'd be all over his butt. But <laughs> the reality is he, he already made so many more than everybody else, you know, so the other people miss shots that were half as hard and, and nobody even says a word. Right. So I think when we, you know, when we push ourselves to, to get to imperfect greatness, people are going to call us when we fall short and that's difficult, but I prefer that to being mediocre. So, so, you know, there's, there's so many things that you are business centric and I know that, you know, when you go speak at ink conferences or, mm-hmm. I mean, just mm-hmm. all over the world, I know all over the country, I'm yep. sure all over the world as well. Yep. Yep. Um, uh-huh. but it's, it's very business and culture related, but is there anything like if you could just go do a talk somewhere, maybe a Ted talk or something that wasn't business related, um, was there any subject matter that, that you would really like to, uh, you know, to, to talk about and, and go out there? I know that, you know, this, this anarchist, when I think anarchist, I think of chaos, but I don't think that's really the case. Yeah. I was listening to something the other day, but is there anything no. that you'd like to elaborate on or talk about that's not business related? Well, I mean, I, I guess let me frame it a couple of ways. So one is I've, I've written a lot about it, but I actually look at it as all one life. It's not like there's business in life. It's all one existence. And I, I actually think that one of the biggest things that makes what we do work is that when you're operating, you know, as per 12 natural laws of business, et cetera, in harmony with human nature, here's the deal. The things that we're teaching people that work here about how to run the organization are pretty much 100% applicable to how they run their personal lives. And so when you, you know, again, the idea of it as as an ecosystem, right? So yesterday I just taught our internal class on servant leadership, um, which comes from Robert Greenleaf's uh, seminal work, 1977 book, uh, Servant Leadership, and my sort of adaptation of it or our adaptation of it is in part two of the book, right? So, you know, I don't know, I had like 14, 15 people that work here. I mean, mostly supervisors, a couple new managers. So, you know, all the six things that are on that servant leadership list that I taught them, uh, visioning, right? Well, doesn't that help you in your personal life? People start using it for their relationships. They start using it for their weddings, you know, whatever, because if you don't know where you're going, the odds of getting where you want to go are pretty low, right? So visioning is important at work, important out of work. What are some other things on there? Learning and teaching. Isn't that an important piece of what got you to where you are? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So isn't it going to help, you know, if you're if they're a parent, don't they need to really study parenting if they want to be good at it? Yes, they do. Uh, manage in an ethical manner. This is, you know, again, trying to live an ethical life that we're all trying to do. Uh, having, you know, giving service to your coworkers. Well, I'm going to tell you, if you go out in the world and treat everybody like your customer, it goes a lot better. <laughs> uh, you know, instead of getting in big arguments, we, we, we build positive relationships. And the last one on the list is giving thanks and being appreciative, which, you know, it's just a nicer way to live. So, so yeah, we're teaching them business, but at the same time, we're teaching them how to apply it to their personal lives. And in the context of an ecosystem, their family life is part of the ecosystem, right? Because if you go home and you hate work, which a lot of people in the country do, they go home and complain all day, right? Then 
their kids are feeling the anger. They pick up the rage that their parents have from a bad job. They bring it into school. They end up getting in fights. Not a parent got to go to the parent teacher conference. And, you know, it just goes downhill. And conversely, if you create a healthy setting, they go home and they teach their kids how to do all this stuff, which is great. So in that sense, it's all one, one life. The third part of the book, which we really haven't talked about though, is on managing ourselves. Uh, so it gets into just like the title says, self-management. It talks about honoring emotions, about mindfulness, free choice, and all of that is. I mean, it's a, it's framed in the context of a business book, but it's, it's pretty much just life. Mm, man, that is that is great, great stuff for our ambitious listeners. And we got to take a quick break, and right afterwards, we'll be right back with Ari talking more about how he recharges his ambitious body, mind, and spirit. Right here on the Ambitious Radio Network. Are you tired of paying too much for electricity from the former monopolies and getting terrible customer service? Do you really even know how much you're paying per kilowatt? Sometimes they quote you a lower rate, but then add back in the delivery charge. Ugh, how frustrating. Go to electricity.guru, that's right, .guru, for your free analysis. Who knows, with just a few referrals, you could actually earn free electricity. If you're tired of paying outrageous electricity bills, do something about it. Would you like to get a significant discount or even get free electricity? Go to electricity.guru and compare our rates to what you're currently paying. Many of our clients are saving anywhere from 15 to 20%. We also have a referral program that allows you to earn free electricity. Yes, free electricity. And you cannot beat free cents per kilowatt. Award-remaining service, competitive rates, and low deposits, if even required. Go to electricity.guru for more details. That's electricity.guru. We offer free energy credits to customers who refer and activate 15 or more qualified customers to our electricity service and are not passing on their bill. To get your free energy credit, your customers must be referred through the free customer gathering website. See electricity.guru for more details. All right, we're back on the Ambitious Radio Network, and today we've got Ari Weiswig with us and uh, of Zingerman's greatness. Uh, and, and I say that uh, just because I've been involved and I've seen the different things they've got going on. And I'm going to talk about these candy bars again because in this segment we're going to talk about how do you recharge. And, and I'm going to tell you, literally, I get these candy bars, and I, I think they're about 8 bucks a piece or something, but I have my wife buy them. She'll buy like 10 or 15 of them, and they ship them on some kind of ice or in a packet, and they come in, and I put them in the refrigerator, and they've got dark chocolate. they got all kinds of different nuts in them, and they're handmade with like sea salt. And and that's one of the things that I truly do do to recharge. But we're going to talk about enough about me. We're going to talk to Ari about what he does to recharge because <laughs> I know you're always out there making it happen. So so what is it that you do to kind of unplug and unwind? I'm, I'm going to call Charlie, who's the partner in the candy company, and tell him how how, how much you love his candy bars. It's great. Um, well, the whole third book, really, like I said, is on managing ourselves, which is you know not me telling other people what to do. It's me sharing what I've screwed up and what I learned from it and you know, sharing whatever processes, procedures, mindsets, approaches, et cetera, that have helped me. So, uh, you know, once, well, what, what do I do? I do all sorts of stuff. Uh, one thing I journal pretty much every morning, uh, 10, 15, 20 minutes casual. I, I rarely reread it. Uh, but it's, it's something I started doing probably 30 years ago. Uh, it's probably the best investment of my life is in these yellow legal pads and, you know, pilot pens to do my, do my writing and it just clears my brain uh, I, I look at it like stretching before I go running uh, it helps reduce the risk of injury so if I can get myself just slightly more centered and 
a little more uh, in touch with what's happening in my head, then it helps me avoid, you know, the snap bad decision that we've all made. Uh, it helps me be a little more appreciative, remember things I might forget, you know, all that good stuff. And it could be personal or work. It doesn't matter, but it just helps me get grounded before the day. So I, I'm, I'm pretty religious about that. Uh, other things, uh, I run every day, uh, literally, uh, I'm really slow. I don't run races. I just like to go by myself. I'm an afternoon <laughs> introverted anarchist runner. So running in large groups on pre-prescribed routes sounds horrible, but uh, I'll be out there this afternoon and uh, just clears my mind. Uh, other things, I cook dinner every night. So I, I guess I should have answered on your on your question about what I like to speak about. I actually speak about food as much as I speak about about business because mm-hmm. that's that's really the core of our work. Uh, but but my girlfriend and I cook. We cook every night. Uh, you know, other things. Just uh, I think being around positive people makes your life a hundred times easier. Uh, you know, emotions been shown to be contagious. Um, when people hang with people that are complaining all the time, I don't think it makes them bad people, but it's hard not to pick up. It's almost impossible not to pick up that negativity. Uh, to be honest with you, I've almost stopped watching the news over the last five years, 10 years, just because it's so, the behaviors are so opposite of what we're trying to teach here. And it just distracts me, you know, from how I can make a positive difference. Uh, the new book, you know, just, being conscious of beliefs. So one of the core pieces of the book was my realization that I sort of broke uh, beliefs out into three categories, negative beliefs, neutral beliefs, and positive beliefs. And uh, neutral beliefs don't do a whole lot. uh, But here's the deal. Negative beliefs create negative outcomes. Positive beliefs create positive outcomes. And shockingly, (laughs) it's obvious in hindsight, you can't get positive outcomes from negative beliefs. It just won't work. So, like, what kind of negative beliefs? Well, if I believe whatever somebody I work with is lazy, it's pretty much going to guarantee a bad outcome. Uh, Now, me believing that they're not lazy isn't going to guarantee a positive one, but it increases the odds of the positive one pretty drastically. And so learning all this sort of really pushed me to challenge myself. You know, where where do I have negative beliefs about coworkers, friends, colleagues, the world, and push myself back to adopt a positive one. And it's not about being Pollyanna and it's not about just, you know, think positive and everything's gonna work. It's just, you know, if if I work with you and I believe that you're a lazy guy, it's inevitable that my energy when I get near you is gonna be negative, standoffish. If you're two minutes late, I'm gonna blame you quickly you know, all sorts of negative behaviors. Well, when I do that, then you start to believe you got no future here because of the way I'm treating you. And then the quality of your work will suffer. And then I go, see, I knew he was no good. And, you know, conversely, if I, if I take a more positive approach, I might say the quality of your work isn't good enough. Maybe there's something going on outside of work that's causing a problem. I don't really know, but I believe you can do it. I'm going to sit down with you and have a heart to heart, you know, as my equal and, and see what's up because I, I need to be clear with you that we need better performance and also need to make sure you understand that we're here to help support you. And that, that doesn't guarantee success, but it start it might trigger new thoughts in you. You might not have realized that you weren't doing good work, et cetera. So the odds of success go up. So anyway, planting positive beliefs out in my, in my life has made a big difference.
Sure, sure. Now, I know that you're, uh, you said you're a journaler, you, you write a lot, obviously, um, yep. books and yep. everything else. Do you, you don't watch the news too much, but do you watch TV? Do you have documentaries? Do you have movies, anything like that that, that you like uh, to? I, I, don't, I don't watch a lot of TV. I mean, very little, actually, to be honest. I, I, so uh, there's an essay in part three on time management. Um, you know, I, I, so I started to realize that most people, Here's my theory. Most people have a very negative relationship with time or unhealthy relationship with time. They're always mad at it. They're always frustrated. There's not enough of it. They're always complaining about it. And I, I start, you know, when I teach the managing ourselves seminar, which we do here at Zinc Train, I teach it, you know, I'm like, okay, how many of y'all have a relationship where uh, you're always mad at the other person? You complain about the other person all the time and it goes well. <laughs> and of course no one does because it's impossible so i'm like well here's the deal like in your relationships outside of life it's not unlikely the other person's going to adjust their behavior a little bit at least to fit what you want but time's not changing it is what it is so either you're going to calm down and and have a more affirmative positive relationship with it or you're going to always be frustrated and that frustration right? Causes negative energy. Then people around you pick up your negative energy. Then they respond negatively. Your day just gets worse and worse all the time. So, uh, so the relationship is huge. And then, you know, because I look at every minute as an investment and I don't mean in money, but in in achieving what I want to achieve, I just, I I don't really do stuff that I don't want to do. And, uh, I try to make the most out of every minute and whether that's being appreciative of a new employee or texting my girlfriend to tell her I love her or, you know, appreciating some new food that we got in or, you know, it's, it's shockingly 60 degrees here today in Michigan in February, which is unheard of. I'm going to go outside and appreciate the sun. So, you know, all those little things make a difference. And then third thing, which is a new book is just, I started, you know, people, when they talk about work-life balance, which I think is a very actually unhealthy construct because it implies that your work and your life are at war with each other and you're trying to get a truce, which isn't very inspiring to me. I started to look more at, so I would say we have activities in our lives that are uh, energizing. We have activities in our lives that are sort of distracting or neutral, and we have activities that are energy draining, right? And that those three categories can occur at work and it can occur out of work. So it's not really the location in which you are. It's the quality of the time that you spend. So, you know, like when I teach a class inside the organization, I always leave it more motivated than when I started the class. Mm, Guaranteed. That's, yeah, that's... Because of the response from the students, right? So it's work, but I'm, I'm inspired. Uh, when I read a good book, which I'm doing all the time like you are, I'm always inspired. I'm getting new ideas left and right. Uh, you know, on the other hand, if you're, I don't know, you know, people are like, you work too much. I'm like, well, what did you do? Oh, I cleaned my garage. I'm like, well, <laughs> I gotta <laughs> tell you, it's not that inspiring for me. It might be for you. So I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but I, I want to try to spend, I'd rather work more, you know, and, and pay somebody to clean the garage. And, and, and that's my choice, you know, but everybody's different. So I think it's finding things that really energize you, and whether that's a relationship with your child or whether that's reading poetry or whatever, and then staying, you know, as much as possible away from the things that drain your energy. And even for me is I don't even really like the neutral ones that much. I prefer, you know, I'd rather read more than watch TV because it's like turning my brain off. 
Gotcha. Well, you know, so so two things because we're getting really close to the end of the show here. But yep, one thing yep. you mentioned was you don't do stuff that you don't like to do. So or you don't you yep. know that you don't want to do. So is there anything just in your normal daily activities of life that kind of pops up mm-hmm. periodically that's just I don't really like to do that? And and how have you, you know, it needs to get done. Do you delegate it to somebody or how do you deal with that? Can you give an example at all of that? Anything come to mind? Well, I mean, you know, there's there's certainly things that we, you know, whatever. I I, I got to go to the Secretary of State's office to get my driver's license renewed, just like everybody else, or whatever. So, you know, I think at that stage, when the things do come up that we really, you know, to get where we want to go, we need to do them. You got to go to the airport and go through security or whatever. It, it's really about energy management, right? So I can be angry about it and drag everybody around me down, or I could just, you know relax and breathe and be nice to the person who's working at TSA or be nice to try to take it as a challenge to turn the person at the secretary of state's office day into a better day. Right. And, you know, it's just, if I'm going to do it, at least don't make it a big drag and, and don't go home and complain to my girlfriend about it because it's just, then that ruins our evening on top of that. Right. So I, you know, and then, yes, I mean, certainly, delegating or sharing responsibilities a lot of times you know like paul my partner you know he loves dealing with banks right and i don't have anything against banks i'm just not that excited or inspired by you know negotiating banking relationships it's not that i don't think they're important it's just not my interest so he likes it great run with it (laughs) on the other hand he doesn't really like public speaking so you know i end up doing a lot of that so it's, it's really, you know, getting around a diverse group of people. Uh, diverse ecosystems are the healthiest in nature, and I think in organizations the same. Well, I'll tell you what. I can't think of a better note to uh, to end it on. And, and today, you know, we've been visiting with, with Ari Weiswig, and, you know, we're, we're highlighting a, a new book that just came out. It's A Lapsed Anarchist Approach to the Power of Beliefs in Business. And, you know, it really was great just to, to chat with you and kind of bring back some old uh, memories of things that we've talked about and gone through in the past. I always love to uh, refresh my brain and bring it back to the forefront and uh, if someone needed, you know, wanted to engage with you, how is the best way, yeah, or yeah. they want to get some training or whatever, how's the best yep, way to, to, yep. to engage? Yeah, I should say, too, that the book, so it won't be a shock after the last hour of conversation, but we're not really on Amazon. I, I, I like to, I like small businesses, so we, we actually uh, design the books here ourselves, and we actually print them locally here in Ann Arbor, and we're kind of off the grid with them so people can get them at zingtrain.com. Uh, and they have a lot of times people, we just had a company in DC bought 50 copies last week, uh, for their staff. So, uh, they have bulk pricing on that too. So zingtrain.com has got the books and then it's also got, uh, the training seminars. So people can look at that and then I'm happy to dialogue directly. My email is Ari uh, at zingermans.com. So just A-R-I at zingermans.com. And I'm, I'm eager to learn from what people who are listening or are doing or learning or asking questions. Man, thank you so much. I really, really do appreciate you carving out time to visit with our with listeners. And it's great, great information. Uh, we will uh, obviously be in touch again. I can't wait to get back up to Ann Arbor and go through another class up there and check out some things because it's just really worth the investment of my time. Uh, you, you know, can't hardly pay enough uh, to, to get that type of training. So it's really, really great value there. And uh, for our listeners, tune in on Saturdays to Ambitious Radio, where we interview thought leaders and exciting entrepreneurs just like Ari changing the faces of their organizations. Remember, you can make money or you can make excuses, but you cannot make both. So go out there and be ambitious. 
Thank you for listening to the Ambitious Radio Network, hosted by serial entrepreneur Doug Parker. Join us weekly as we have engaging conversations with ambitious entrepreneurs and thought leaders on topics that can be applied immediately after listening. Like what you've heard? Listen to other interviews at ambitiousradio.com or subscribe on iTunes.